Last week, I started a three-week sermon series on prayer. And I made the argument last week that prayer is a deep and powerful thing in the Scriptures. That Jesus often escapes to to pray, that most of the biblical characters um, use prayer as a, a battery, as a power source for the way they would live their lives. And that when we compare biblical prayer to the way most of us pray, it looks nothing alike. Most of us simply pray at grace, and it's fairly surface-level prayers. And so, coming off of last week, where I really made the argument that we ought to deepen and widen our prayer life, this week I want to get really practical and talk about how to pray. Talk about what it means to pray, and, and, and especially just give some practical help on developing a stronger prayer life. To do that, we're going to be talking about Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn there. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Some of this will sound familiar to you. It's the prayer that Jesus taught us that we just all said together um, during the prayer. But this is the whole context of Jesus teaching this prayer in Matthew. Last week we looked at Luke. It's a little bit different there. Matthew chapter 6, and we're starting in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners, that they might be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you, do, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Here ends the reading of God's word. I've been reading an excellent book on prayer just came out by a Presbyterian minister from New York City named Timothy Keller, just titled Prayer. In it, he makes a great analogy for what prayer does in the life of a Christian. He uses the example of a camera. Now, it doesn't work as well as an analogy on today's digital cameras, but you all will remember film cameras, right? Where you had to not put a card in, but you had to put film in. And the way it would work is light that's constantly bouncing off of things would be bouncing off of the object you're trying to take the picture of, And would get captured in the lens. And you would open the shutter to let that light in. And that light would have a chemical reaction with the film. And so the image would be captured there. There'd be an impression chemically that would happen because that light connected. And then you could go and you could get that film developed. And if it all worked right, which it didn't always do, right? If it all worked right, then you could develop and you would have that image that you had captured the light from what you were looking at. 
Now it's digitally. That all happens digitally. There's not the same kind of chemical reaction. But the same basic system applies. And do you remember Polaroid cameras? Those were great because you could take the picture and right then you, you could, well, in about 30 seconds, you'd have to sort of shake it and set it somewhere. And uh, hopefully if the camera was working, you'd, you'd see it instantly. Uh, otherwise, you had to take it and get it developed all the time. What Keller says is that, that in the Bible, Jesus is considered light. He's called the light of the world. And so Jesus' light is everywhere. It's bouncing off of all kinds of things. But what happens for the Christian is that at some point we have to let that light in and make an impression upon ourselves. Part of the problem with a lot of Christians today is that doesn't seem to be happening. They call themselves Christian. They may sit in our pews or other pews, but their life doesn't look very different. It doesn't seem like Christ is making that big of an impression on their lives. And what Keller said is that the film and the camera is really prayer. That prayer is that point where God's light makes an impression on us and is left there so that we live differently. Now that can happen in worship. That can happen a lot of different places. But in the Bible, the primary place where God's light shines on us and is caught in us to change us is through prayer. And the primary way that we get to prayer, and I'm going to talk about this in a little bit, is through scriptures. And so part of the problem we have as Christians and as churches today is we just don't have people in God's word and in prayer enough to have a big enough impact on their lives that they have an impact on the world around us. And so today we want to talk about how to pray. And Jesus doesn't doesn't mess around with this. This is some of the most practical teaching that Jesus does. Very often Jesus teaches through parables. Okay, but if you look at Jesus teaching about prayer, what you find is he's right to the point. Jesus says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stay in the street, but go into the room and shut the door. Part of prayer is the setting of prayer. This is one of the reasons why I think we don't pray enough. Because we have to set the stage, set the mood a little bit for prayer. Prayer is very difficult to do when you're very, very busy. That's why you need a place. Where do you pray? That makes a big difference in how you pray. Jesus himself often escaped to gardens, maybe even to the same places in those gardens. Often out to the wilderness, often down by the seashore. He, he was constantly trying to find good places to pray. What goes into that? Well, I think quiet, being by yourself, getting away from distractions. In the Orthodox Church, you would typically set up in your home somewhere a prayer corner. I think this is a pretty neat idea. They often pray through icons which are pictures. They don't actually pray to the pictures. That's a misconception. But the the icons become, as it were, windows into praying to God. And so typically there's a corner where you would go in an Orthodox person's home and they would have this corner. There'd be shelf and there'd be pictures on the wall. There might be candles. There might be incense. There might be prayer books. But that was the place that they would go to to pray. Normally, Jewish people have an understanding of where they like to go pray. If you're Muslim, you stop multiple times a day to get out your mats and pray. Christians had these kinds of places and had these kinds of committed prayer times throughout much of their history. 
But that has been lost in about the last five, six hundred years. Okay, we need to reclaim the idea of a prayer place. And I think we need to reclaim a prayer time. So the Psalms say this. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. At evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. That's from Psalm chapter 55. Paul tells us to pray continually. The Old Testament understanding of that is to set aside at least three times a day, morning, noontime, and evening, so that you pray. So that you stop. There's even another kind of prayer called compline, which is prayer that happens right before you go to sleep. Now, I don't know about you. I tend to be a late evening person. I can be getting a lot of work done at 11 o'clock at night. And I am not real helpful at 6 in the morning. Okay? But I find that I really do better if I do some devotion and some prayer in the morning. Normally, it's not, uh, normally I do a lot of reading. A lot of my prayer happens better later in the afternoon or in the evening. Um, But I like to get something started in the morning. I think we need to separate our prayer time from our meal times. The problem with praying at meal times is we have kind of a set uh, liturgy of how we pray at meal times. And, And that works good, except that then we tend to just pray about the food and get the grace done with Because if you don't, your grandmother always told you you'd get an upset stomach if you didn't pray first, right? That's not the same as having a prayer time. And I think sometimes we need to distinguish those and have a separate prayer time. Uh, I don't know how you want to do this. Sometimes you can set an alarm on your phone or on your watch. Um, I actually have my phone and my watch both set to click every hour. Gives me some kind of a beep, some kind of a chime every hour. And it's my way of trying to do what Paul tells us to do and pray continuously. So every hour on the hour, if I hear the chime, I don't always hear it. But if I hear it, I stop and I at least pray for 30 seconds about whatever I'm currently doing. And that helps me keep God in my day throughout the day. Attitude is important too. Okay, Jesus is saying, don't, don't pile on all these extra words. Don't try to impress somebody with your prayer. Just keep it simple. I would recommend if you're going to actually do this prayer time that you keep a little piece of paper handy. Because I don't know about you, but when I get quiet, my brain starts reminding me of stuff that I'm supposed to remember. Does this happen to anybody else? Um, We could talk cognitively about why your brain does that. But a lot of times when I pray, I like to have a piece of paper so that when I remember something I've got to do, or something, somebody I've got to call, I just write it down real quick, and then I can get right back to my prayer time. If the paper's not there, I tend to dwell on it. So have a little piece of paper there. Get yourself focused and centered. Some people really do like to use candles or incense as part of that. Our tradition hasn't done that as much. Of course, we do in worship, but we don't often do it at home. But I think sometimes it's helpful to light a candle and be reminded that the Holy Spirit is there. And to expect God to show up and to speak in our prayer time. Another thing I think about if you're going to have a prayer time is that you start with scriptures. Jesus doesn't tell us to start with scriptures. But if you look up a lot of the phrases that Jesus uses in the Lord's Prayer, what you're going to find is a lot of them come right out of the Old Testament. That when Jesus prays, he prays the Bible. 
He uses the Bible to guide the ideas and the language of his prayers. This, I think, is a good model for us to sit down and open the scriptures. And if we're going to have a conversation with God, it seems fair if God is God that God gets to speak first. Let God speak first. Open your Bible and read it. Now, you may not understand everything you read. But there are different ways to read the Bible. Sometimes you read the Bible for study and you want to know what does that word mean and what what does that phrase mean and what's, what's Paul saying. But there's another kind of reading that most of us don't do called devotional reading, which is where you just open and read and let God speak to you however God's going to speak to you. And you're not really worried about getting the point or getting it right. You just sort of dive in. This is a great way to read the Psalms, I think. Proverbs works also well with this, but I think especially the Psalms, just to read and get into it a little bit. Also, use a lighter translation. If if you've ever heard of the message, it's a great paraphrase of the Bible that really can help unlock some of the scriptures for your prayer life. I sometimes read multiple translations. So I'll read one that's really word for word and another one that's a more light paraphrase. I like, I like the ESV, which is what I read. That's the translation I use. Very similar to the NRSV that's in your pews. Um, and then I like the New Living Translation or the message to kind of compare and contrast the two. But get out your Bibles and start to read. I read what's called the Daily Lectionary, which is a two-year cycle of scriptures that get into all the kinds of different parts of the Bible. You can look that up. You can get it on your cell phone if you have a smartphone. But I do, I think it's fair if we're going to have a conversation with God and we're not God, that God gets to speak first. So let God speak. Open up your Bible and start to read it a little bit. Start with the Psalms, maybe, and then see where else you want to go. This helps answer some of the question that I often get from people, which is, I would like to pray, but I don't know what to say. How many of you get into that? Can you admit it? I'd like to pray, but I don't really know what to say. Well, the Bible gives you all kinds of prayers and all kinds of language to say. And Jesus himself gives you the Lord's Prayer. Now, we treat the Lord's Prayer as a repetitious prayer that we we pray every week. But did you notice that in this version, the, the conclusion that we always pray isn't even in there? I don't think that the prayer, the Lord's Prayer was actually originally designed to be something we pray all the time. I think it's a good thing. I pray it all the time. But, but I don't think Jesus was primarily saying, say these exact words. What I think Jesus was more doing was giving us some categories of things to think about when we pray. Right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. How often do we praise God? How often in our prayer life do we really praise God for who he is and what he's done? That's the problem with praying at grace. We thank God for the food, but we don't thank God for anything else. And we especially don't thank God for who he is and what he's done on our behalf. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a, we pray that every week. That is a really hard thing to honestly pray. Lord, your will be done. Because that's a prayer of submission. Not my will. Not what I want. Not what I think, Lord. What you want. You're number one. You're the priority. Then you pray. Give us this day our daily bread. 
the daily things that I need, Lord. You, whatever that list is for you on that particular day. But don't you think that list changes a little bit if you pray after thy will be done, Lord, give me these things. Because you already prayed God's will be done. Well, then if something on your list isn't on God's list, you've already prayed that thing out of the picture. But that is, I think, where we need to be as Christians. Praying God's will be done first. And if something we want isn't what God wants, then we need to be submitting Lead us not, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. One of the things we do every Sunday morning is confession. We do a prayer of confession. Um, one of the things our tradition doesn't have is confession with a priest. Um, our, our, our tradition moved away from that at the Reformation. But there's something about confessing your specific sins that is important to your own spiritual growth, to getting things off your chest and saying, yeah, I messed up. Now, I don't know, I don't want you all to do that to me, okay? That's, uh, that's not, I'm not arguing for that. But you can do it with God. He already knows what you did. But giving voice to your sins with God, I think, is important because it lets you be rid of it, lets you be free of it, and lets you give it to God. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. I don't know if you've ever thought about that line either. That line in the prayer assumes that evil is going to happen. It assumes that difficult times are going to happen. If you are praying to Jesus that nothing bad ever happens to you, you are praying a prayer that's never going to come true, and you're praying something, you're asking something of Jesus that he never promised he would give you. Bad times are going to come. Ask Jesus to be with you. To not let you be tempted to the point that you fail and deliver you out of the evil. That we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we don't move in and live there. That's the prayer. Jesus gives us this simple outline, and, but I think it's helpful. I think it's helpful to diversify our prayer so we're not just thanking him for food, asking him for whatever we need right now. But we start to praise him. We start to pray a much bigger way. Now, there's a couple ways you could model this. These are helpful. You might want to write these down. One is the pray model. P-R-A-Y. Praise, repent, ask, and yield. Pray, repent, ask, and yield. I think that's a great outline for prayer. Okay? Praise God. Repent of your sins. Ask God for whatever is bothering you. And then pray a prayer of yielding at the end. The other model is the ACTS model. A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Adoration, it's the same thing as praise. Confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Supplication is a fancy word for praying for what you want to ask for. For asking for certain things. I think both those are really good models for helping you to expand your prayer life. So you're not just praying one thing, you're praying a number of things. Praying the Psalms, too. I really think the Psalms, um, and if you're feeling really down, like if you're having a really bad week, look for the Psalms that are Psalms of Lament. Okay, The Bible has a whole bunch of Psalms. In fact, there's a whole book called Lamentations. 
that gives songs of being frust- uh, prayers of being frustrated with God. We as a church often don't know how to deal with those kind of prayers. They're all over the place in the Bible. God doesn't want you when you go through bad things to keep him at a distance. God, God is big enough to handle your complaints. God is big enough to handle your grievances against him. I, lay them all out there. That's what David did. That's what Jeremiah did. That is an important part of prayer life. Praying written prayers can also be helpful. Um, I do a thing called the divine hours or the daily office or the liturgy of hours. The Episcopal Church does this. Catholic Church does this. Um, our, our tradition tends to not do this as much. But it's just set prayers and psalms that happen throughout the day. So there's a morning, a noontime, and an evening that sort of guides you through some psalms, some scriptures, some prayers. Um, I like a guy named John Bailey who wrote a book called The Diary of Private Prayer. Um, sometimes just praying somebody else's prayers can be helpful. Uh, sometimes it doesn't make sense, but sometimes it really can give you language when you don't know what to say. Let me say just a couple more words about prayer. First of all, we pray in Jesus' name. The Bible does that in the New Testament. I think that's an important part of prayer. But, but it's not a stamp of approval. It's not a stamp. Like, okay, now that I've said in Jesus' name, God's on the hook to do what I said. It's not like a down payment or a stamp that gets the envelope sent. Okay, when we pray in Jesus' name, a name in those days was a lot more than just a name that you pick to give somebody to call them. Your name was your identity. Your name was who you are. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, we're praying, Jesus, let this prayer be what you want and what fits your character. Your name was your character. It was who you were. So when you pray in Jesus' name, know that that's a pretty bold statement. That what you're saying to God at the end of the prayer is that anything you previously said that doesn't fit Jesus' character, God is going to ignore. Because you're asking, you're praying in Jesus' name. And we pray in submission. We pray in that attitude of let your will be done. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. That's why we pray your kingdom come. Now I think if you start to really take your prayer life seriously, God will do some amazing things. Uh, Maybe that's partly why we don't do it very much either. We're a little scared of God being that real. But I will be honest with you. A lot of the times, if you start a prayer life, your prayer life is going to be boring. Like God doesn't just show up every time and speak in a loud and booming voice. A lot of times, prayer is boring. It's a discipline. It's called a discipline for the reason. It takes discipline to do it. But what you're doing when you start a solid prayer life, when you structure your prayer life a little bit more, is you're giving God room to speak. And he might not speak every time, but he's going to speak sometimes. And even if God doesn't speak for a while, you are at least in your own spirit opening up to whatever God has in your life. And I think God will respond to that. It's like falling in love with your spouse. If you're married, you understand this, right? When you're dating, it's all about the excitement of a cool date and a cool outing. You get married, you go on a cool honeymoon. 
And, and as, you, as you stay married, you know, you have those moments, those special moments of anniversaries and flowers and that kind of thing. But real love, real love that blossoms with age comes from the boring stuff. The stuff that just you like about each other every day. The kind of interesting mundane stuff. The finishing of each other's sentences and the finishing of each other's sandwiches and the life shared together on a day-to-day basis develops love much more than those special moments. Your, your faith cannot be based on special moments. It can't be based on mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. You need a mundane and ordinary life with Jesus. That's where a love and a relationship is going to develop. That's where that light will come into your life and leave a long-term impression that changes you. Not in special, amazing moments. Maybe a couple of those along the way. But much more the daily, dedicated love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. Lord, like your disciples, we want to know how to pray more. And so help us on that journey. Give us the motivation. Help us find the time. Guide us in our path. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.